energy and air pollution will be one of the top five issues for the general election. We talk about Putin being in control. He's not really. It's the various factions under him and it suits them to have him at the front. If you're trying to save for a house deposit and you'd have to save up some crazy amount of money, how on earth are you going to do that if a pint is £7? There's certain key things that we want from India and there's certain key things that they want from us. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, we'll hear from a leading expert on the concrete that has created a crisis for British schools, hospitals and potentially a lot of other buildings. Plus, the former Bank of England policymaker Michael Saunders will be joining us to discuss growth and the government's finances. But first, I imagine most of you have heard this by now. Does anyone ever say, you know what, you've done a f- good job because everyone else has sat on their and done nothing no 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 signs of that no I often feel like that, Caroline. (laughs) But that was the Education Secretary Gillian Keegan caught off guard wearing a microphone after an interview with ITV. She did later apologise for the language, it has to be said. Oh, and then we think of all of the political gaffes that there have been. I mean, there's no shortage of them. Brown's gaffe, uh, calling uh, a voter, a, a former Labour Party voter, a bigoted person was one. You know, David Cameron had a major gaffe too. Lots of them spring to mind. The problem is it's such a serious issue. We're talking about concrete, uh, you know, potentially collapsing in schools. A lot of people did not take this sort of blame game well. No, I mean, you're a parent, Caroline, so I feel like you're much closer to the issue here. And you've done a good interview on it as well. Uh, listen, I feel white hot annoyance around away from you i can feel the anger but we are days away from schools opening when this announcement came out so yes i think i I suspect i reflect the feelings of many parents who are worried well look one of the reasons that gillian keegan is under so much pressure is bloomberg's report that the education secretary was on holiday in spain when the problem unfolded it was alex wickham's scoop and he joins us now alex what do you think was revealed when the mask slipped Well, it just has been a shambolic episode again for the government. Rishi Sunak came into this September, the end of the parliamentary recess over summer, hoping to reset his government. He did a little reshuffle at the end of last week. It was pretty underwhelming. He's shuffled his pack inside Downing Street behind closed doors with a few new advisers, getting rid of of some as well. But the reality is it's just been completely overshadowed by this uh, school's disaster, really, that, that that government just can't seem to get a grip of. And I think the danger for Sunak and the education secretary is they really are starting to look like they don't have control of the situation. And, you know, day by day, something else comes out, whether it's Gillian Keegan's hot mic moment or, you know, emerging that Rishi Sunak was the one when he was charged to re-block the money for rebuilding more schools. And it just feels like, you know, the government's in a bit of chaos already as we go back to school. Yeah. And I mean, there are a couple of different ways of taking um, Keegan's comments. You know, it could either be blaming former Conservative governments or even going back as far as the Labour government, you know, um, which left office in 2010. Or she could be talking about industry. I mean, we don't really know. It's sort of blaming anyone, anyone else effectively. I mean, it is hard to imagine a worse sort of big reset for government parliament returning on monday schools going back sort of monday tuesday wednesday 
Yeah, and I think you know we have to assume it's a, it is fair to assume that who Gillian Keegan was talking about when she said that you know she was the one sorting it out and everybody else had been on their backsides was other governments, Tory governments and Tory ministers in other departments. So she is talking about, as one adv- advisor put it to me yesterday, a multi-government, cross-government failure. So, you know, several government departments, from the Department for Education to the Treasury to Downing Street, plus over se- the course of several different administrations, from you know Rishi Sunak's current administration to Boris Johnson's administration before, and potentially through all the way to David Cameron and, and austerity at the beginning. That's what Julian Keegan was saying. They're all to blame, basically, is what she was saying. And it is a, it is a frankly astonishing admission. I mean, we can all see it's true, <laughs> but it's an astonishing thing for a Tory minister to be caught saying, because imagine if you're a Labour strategist a year away from an election, they've written your, you know, attack adverts for you there. You know, the Tories are essentially admitting themselves that they're the ones who haven't got on top of this uh, looming crisis that's been known about for years, and now everyone's in an absolute mess over it. All right, Alex, you have been a chronicler of British politics for a long time now. I'm going to have to ask you, what's your favourite hot mic moom? I think so, mate. I think my, I have to say, I think my favourite is a slightly different one. It's David Cameron, I think it was the day after the Brexit referendum, and he sort of comes outside Downing Street and he stands in front of the lecture and he gives the news to the nation that he's, you know, that he's lost and, and he's going to be standing down as Prime Minister. A huge, huge seismic moment in British politics. Finishes the statement, turns around, walks back to the black door of number 10, microphone still on, and Cameron just goes, do, 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 right. <laughs> Which just sums up to me the sort of, you know, we tried that referendum, it didn't work, I'm finished, oh well, whatever. <laughs> and oh. it's sort of, you know, it's, it, was a, it was just an you know, amazing moment. It was an absolutely staggering moment. I remember watching it. It was very early in the morning when he did that because the referendum came as such a shock to the nation and that swift resignation. I remember watching it about seven in the morning. Um, Yeah, totally flabbergasting. Thank you so much, Alex Wickham, for being with us then, uh, including the scoop, yes, that the education secretary was on holiday in Spain. I mean, partly that was to do with, again, another issue, uh, airport delays. That's partly why she was still on holiday you know as this whole issue around closing schools actually came to the fore so our thanks to Bloomberg's Alex Wickham so beyond the froth then of the gaffe and the blame game the issue of crumbling concrete in schools in hospitals and potentially many other buildings remains Chris Goodyear is the director of Loughborough Centre for Innovation and Collaborative Construction Engineering he was actually one of the academics who contributed to the report which led to the schools being closed in the first place we asked him how much we actually know about this defective concrete it's, it's gone relatively under the radar until a couple of years ago. NHS had been on it for a couple of years and they funded the research at Loughborough University and, and, and that have very much now managed the, 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 the problem. Uh, so the problem we have as a country is that, first of all, we need to find out where all the rack is. And it's in, and we, d- we don't have a national register. So now DfE are obviously running around finding it. NHS know where it is. But we have all the other government departments now trying to find it and the private sector are trying to find it as well. And then it needs to be assessed by a qualified surveyor or engineer who knows what they're looking for. 
And then once all that has been done, and we're talking, you know, we we have, I'm guessing, million, more than a million buildings in the country. Tens of thousands will have racking, uh, and all that needs to be looked at. So, so this is not going to be done in a few weeks. We're going to be living with rack for a few years. Most of the rack we find will be okay and structurally sound, and will last more years. 10, 20, 30 years more. But a proportion of it will need to be strengthened, and there's various means of doing that. And a small proportion will be need to be condemned and taken off and the roof replaced. So this could be a significantly larger problem. I mean, to me, it's sounding like a crisis on the scale of, of asbestos and having to deal with that building material. Uh, can you answer this perhaps for me? Why are schools being closed now over the issue? As you say, this issue has been in the background. It's been known, but it has suddenly come to the fore of public consciousness because the government is closing schools in the week that schools reopen after the summer holidays. And in the light of the pandemic, you know, a lot of people are very concerned about this. I totally understand the anxiety of parents. Why? Why now? Surely, surely we should have known this. So my my understanding is that the the DFE have been taking advice from uh, the leading structural engineers of the country, taking advice from us here at Loughborough University on understanding the rack issue. They 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 two years ago they contacted all the schools to to ask them to look at their schools and to find out if, if they got rack. That's been a slow process, partly because, you know, there's so many schools and the schools are experts on this. And so the, some of them have been, have been hard to reach. But I also believe that over the last few weeks, some new evidence has come to light that has changed DFE's perception of the risk of rack, As in, they've been rapidly inspecting lots of schools over the summer and they have found some schools that they think are particularly at risk that, as I said, a cha has changed their opinion and approach of the risk of RAC. And that's why what seemed was a last minute decision, because their perception of the risk of the RAC to, to the schools has, has changed very quickly. Yes. Investigations into this particular type of lightweight concrete were stepped up in 2018 because the roof of a primary school in Kent collapsed without warning. So that was one of the reasons, actually, that, that all of these investigations really were kick-started. Do you think that there's been another incident over the summer? Is there something specific that we know about, or is it simply the inspections? I, I think something has happened. Uh, it's not been released publicly, uh, and certainly there's been no loss of life because that would be, you know, uh, out in the media. And I, and I don't think, and as are collapses, collapses of schools make the media and get out there whether the DfE want it to or not, because it's very visible. So, so I don't think there's been any you know, major collapse or definitely no loss of life. But as I said, as they've been inspecting schools, I think they, they have found some that, maybe a more de defective than they first thought and, and has changed their opinion of the risk uh, and what to do. So, so they've gone for the very much safety risk approach that they know would cause a, a media and a, you know, a societal 
well, crisis, uh, but they have gone for safety first. Until they've inspected those schools and have the high confidence that they're safe, they're not going to let, let, let pupils back in. That was Chris Goodyear, the director of Loughborough's Centre on Innovation and Collaborative Construction Engineering, just talking us through RAC, the reinforced aerated concrete issue then for schools in UK buildings. So that's the funding crisis du jour, repairing schools. But of course, we wouldn't be having that conversation if the country's finances weren't extremely stretched. And joining us now is former Bank of England policymaker Michael Saunders, who is also now a senior economic advisor at Oxford Economics. He's been writing about the fiscal rules lately. Welcome to you, Michael. Great to have you back on. Nice to be back. Um, on Friday, the Office for National Statistics revised up the growth picture for the UK. It doesn't look as bad as it was coming out of the pandemic anymore. Does this change the miserable narrative in your view? Have we been unfairly talking down the UK? No, it doesn't change the uh, broad picture. The UK has had low potential growth uh, since 2010, really. And the ONS revisions don't change that picture. Potential growth since 2010 has been much lower than it was in the preceding 20 years. And that's been translated into persistent low growth in living standards, little or no growth in real wages for 15 years now. And the outlook, I think at the moment, I'm afraid, is for more of the same. That's utterly grim. We're a year on from Liz Truss becoming Prime Minister. You had said previously that the one thing she got right was identifying this issue of Britain's growth problem. What do you think now, you know, as we start um, a new parliamentary session and we get closer to the next general election 15 months out, what can government and the Bank of England do to improve things for people in Britain? Well, to come back to Liz Truss, she was right to identify the issue of low potential growth. I always think she was completely wrong, totally wrong, in how she sought to address it with unfunded tax cuts that would leave the fiscal position on a worsening path. Look, there's a, a well-known agenda of policy measures recommended by the IMF and the OECD over recent years, increased public investment, better education, more more education spending, uh, closer trade links to Europe, better childcare. Um, the government really hasn't been doing enough on that agenda, not just in the last year or two, but over the last decade. And I think that the issue over the school buildings, which you talked about in your previous section, highlights the broader picture, the broader issue of persistently low public investment in the UK. Public investment in the UK has long been among the lowest across the advanced economies, well below the average. And we know that the returns from public investment in terms of the boost to potential growth are relatively high, let alone the issues of child safety, which have come up with the school buildings crisis. And by opting for low public investment, the UK has helped to create this environment of low potential growth. And so I think one of the challenges for the next few years is to ensure that we can have both a sustainable fiscal position and sustained higher levels of public investment. And in order to achieve that, we probably need to reform the fiscal rules. So what's wrong with the fiscal rules as they stand? 
Well, the aim of fiscal rules, you know, the, the whole purpose is to try to ensure fiscal sustainability and to achieve it in a way that doesn't damage the economy and actually helps to make the economy better over time. The current fiscal rules fail to achieve that basic aim of ensuring fiscal sustainability. At the moment, the UK has two major fiscal rules. One is that the ratio of public debt to GDP should be falling in the OBR's forecast five years ahead. And the second is that the fiscal deficit, the overall borrowing requirement of the government, should be below 3% of GDP, also five years ahead. As you'll see that the weakness, one big weakness of those rules, is that they can be met if the government says that it intends to tighten fiscal policy at some point in the future, four or five years ahead, such that the OBR will then project that debts will fall and the deficit will be below 3% of GDP five years ahead. But the government never needs to actually fulfil that aim of fiscal tightening, and as the horizon rolls forward, it can just simply push forward that fiscal tightening by a further year, and in the meantime, the deficit stays high and debts continue to rise. And that's sort of been, that's been a pattern that we've seen since 2010. The government has had repeated targets to aim to reduce public borrowing, Hmm. They've always been met in the forecast. They've never been met in the data. Because as the distant years, the years four and year five, become near term, the government has tended to loosen up on fiscal policy while still indicating that it will tighten fiscal policy at some point out in the future. So that's yeah. the first problem, that they don't achieve the basic aim of ensuring fiscal sustainability. But the other key problem is that they disincentivize governments from maintaining or expanding public investment because they make no distinction between debt and deficits that are caused by public investment, which will yield long-term gains for the economy and for future generations, and debt and deficits that are just caused by current spending. And so governments have always found it easier to try to achieve a forecast of a lower deficit and falling debt by cutting public investment. Austerity, because, in other words, well, it, it, Austerity minds. focused on public investment in particular, despite mm. the adverse long-term effects of that. Okay. Um, so what, what you need is fiscal rules, which first of all, ensure that you're on a sustainable fiscal path. The second, which encourage governments to maintain or expand public investment. Yeah. So the, the government's targets basically for debt and for borrowing can be dodged and they also don't deliver in terms of economic growth over the long term. My question then to you is now looking at the statements that we've had from the shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeves, uh, you know, has made very positive noises in this area. Do you see any real change being offered by uh, Labour and, and what changes would you want, you know, to, to be made to these fiscal rules, which are used with voters as evidence of, you know, economic prowess. So it's not yet clear exactly what Labour would do. Um, they've talked, um, I think, in quite sensible language of the uh, aim of keeping debt under control and wanting to expand public investment. But you know, we'll have to wait and see exactly how they would uh, reform the fiscal rules. 
My proposals would be that the government should aim to improve public sector net worth, that is assets, less liabilities, over a five to 10 year view, aim to get public debt falling three years ahead, not five years ahead, so it can't be dodged so easily, and to aim for a balance or surplus on the current budget, that is public borrowing excluding investment. Now that would allow public investment to rise. You could have public investment considerably higher than it has been over recent years within a framework in which the government is obliged because of the shorter time horizon to ensure that the overall current budget is kept under control and public debts don't continue to trend higher. I don't know as to whether that's what Labour will do, but I think those kinds of changes would put the UK in a better place than the fiscal rules that we have at the moment. Michael, would you agree with the former boss of the Office for Budget Responsibility that the OBR should be given more resources so that they can also cost Labour's fiscal plans, given polls suggest they are going to be the next government? Yes, I think that would be sensible. Um, I also think that the OBR probably should extend their forecast horizon out a bit in order to provide a better platform to assess the long-term effects of the policies of whichever party is in power. At the moment, the OPR produces detailed forecasts for the economy five years ahead. That's the um, horizon in which the fiscal rules have to be met. But some policy measures, many policy measures, have their full effects on potential growth longer than five years ahead. If you think of, say, the uh, the childcare measures, which the Chancellor sketched out, no more than that, in the budget early this year, they're not going to be introduced for two to three years. They're not funded yet. Um, but if they are going to have an effect, it will probably be largely beyond the five-year forecast horizon from the OBR. Same with a lot of public investment. So having a forecast horizon that's longer than five years, I would suggest 10 years, would allow the OBR to better recognise the potential gains from longer-term supply-side measures, which may yield their full benefits beyond the five-year current horizon. A question then um, about experts. There's been a long, there was a long period after the Brexit vote in which, you know, experts were basically disregarded, and that was also. Um, implemented, you know, for the Office uh, for Budget Responsibility, and that's only a year ago under Liz Truss, that they were sidelined. Are you back in favour? Well, I, I, I don't think this is about me. Um, <laughs> sure. But, but many the, of your colleagues are now, adv- the, former colleagues are now advancing, advising the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt on his Economic Advisory Council. Is that a step in the right direction? Well, I don't know what advice they're giving and whether that advice is taken. Um, but the UK, over the last 10, 12 years, has made economic policy errors, which many of the experts identified at the time as being errors. A lot of people can be clever with hindsight. The people you listen to most are those who can tell you at the time when things are wrong because they've got deep knowledge well-founded expertise. And one of those errors was to have very low public investment during the 2010s, at a time when the economy had plenty of spare capacity and borrowing costs were low. Another one also was to downplay the economic costs of Brexit, which many experts warned would be substantial. 
I think the evidence that we've seen since Brexit is consistent with that. Um, so maybe the experts know something after all. And having, you know, we should try to learn the lessons from expert advice rather than dismiss it. That was Michael Saunders, the former Bank of England policymaker, who's now senior economic advisor at Oxford Economics. Lizzie, the only thing I can say is that is a former policymaker unleashed, un, untamed really by an official role. Um, he was talking about announcement heavy from the government, mistake strewn and delivery light. I can't see that as anything other than a really damning uh, view on the Conservative government and on the fact that we're reaping the whirlwind of low investment in Britain. Yeah, what an indictment. However, although he said that nice sounds are coming out of Labour, no specifics. And we are in the back to school period. We're meant to be in a reset period. As you said, we've got our eyes on the next election. What everyone wants, including the experts, is specificity. Yes. And I think that the change to the fiscal rules, i.e. the targets that the government presents to all of us, you know, talking about debt, borrowing and investment, that those really need to be tightened up. I think this is a, a big new argument. A lot of new thinking I think as a result of the last few years. Yeah let us not think that this is the weeds, these are the masks, the smoke and mirrors that the government provides to make things seem responsible fiscally and likewise Labour wanting to change the fiscal rules so very important indeed. Yeah absolutely, that's it from us for today, if you like the programme don't forget to subscribe, give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Wilcock and our audio engineer was Mariful Hussain. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepker. We'll be back with Prime Minister's Questions tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Thank you very much. Right. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.